Grace you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Back in college, I got to spend a semester living in the old city of Jerusalem uh, daily. I got to rub shoulders with uh, Christians, Jews, and Muslims, and I got to observe how they lived out their faith in that tiny little corner of the world. And I remember the day that I visited uh, the Dome of the Rock, uh, the most striking building in old Jerusalem because of its gold dome. It's the third holiest site for Muslims because uh, it is believed that Muhammad was taken up into heaven from that rock uh, that's encased inside the dome. Outside, the building is decorated with this beautiful blue ceramic tile uh, that has geometric patterns all over it. Inside are large rugs surrounding the rock, uh, probably several layers thick for the faithful to kneel down upon and say prayers. Needless to say, no one enters the building wearing one's shoes. And so outside the building, there are several fountains available. And I saw at one of those fountains an elderly Muslim man washing his feet. Uh, He had 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 down sandals before, washing his feet before he went into the dome and saying prayers as he did so. And I remember being struck by him and many, many Muslims I had observed who were more devout in the practice of their faith than I was in my practice of Christianity. Maybe they did it out of a sense of compulsion, of half-tooths, but maybe he was doing it out of a love for God. Anyway, I remember being humbled. So I want you to keep that image in mind as we explore the lawyer's question to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Or if you just flip it and state it the other way, the lawyer was asking, who may I exclude from being my neighbor? Now, that's a list uh, we know how to populate. A lot of contenders actually come to my mind, but, uh, but actually not because they are of another faith. Uh, for me, uh, Muslims, Buddhists, Jews, even atheists could easily make my list of neighbors. Uh, so also could gay or straight or queer people be on my neighbor's list. I mean, if I got to exclude anybody, it would be the people who don't love. People whose hateful, excluding words and actions are meant to harm their neighbor. Those are the ones I don't feel very neighborly toward. So, for example, I could feel very neighborly toward the Muslim man washing his, uh, the dust of his feet before going in to pray even though there was a language barrier between us, because potentially we could have shared a lot in common. I feel less neighborly to uh, leaders uh, like the, the leader of Russia, whose vision of greatness has now cost so many people on both sides so many lives. But here's the deal. I'm not so sure I get to make my list of who is my neighbor and who isn't. I mean, and after all, in Jesus' parable, the Samaritan in the story didn't know anything about the man that he stopped to help. For all he knew, the man could have been on his non-neighbor list. He could have been the leader of the anti-Samaritan league, if there had been such a thing back then. The only thing that defined the man, that man at that moment was that he needed help. 
So to help us better understand what Jesus is trying to get at in his definition of who's our neighbor, I think we need to put ourselves into the parable as the man who was robbed, beaten, and left for dead. Now, when you think about it, it's a little hard to do. I mean, who wouldn't stop to help us? I mean, you know, we're pretty decent people after all. We, lots of people would surely stop. But you see, that's beside the point. The guy on the road could have been very popular. He could have been the life of the party. But at that moment, that's not how anybody saw him. At that moment, he was a man who should have taken better precautions on that road of, of danger and who is now bearing the consequences of his carelessness. At the moment, he was a liability with nothing to offer in return. Now remember I said that's who, who we are in the story. A person with, who's a liability with nothing to offer in return. So I, I want you to start wondering this question, how much of a liability are we to God? I mean, isn't, when you get deep down inside of us, isn't that our fear? Isn't that why we go through life trying to do more good things than bad things? Because we want to make sure that at the end of life, our balance sheet is going to show God that we've been a good investment after all, right? We, uh, we're not that liability uh, that we were earlier in life. That's why we make comments like, boy, I hope I've done enough good. But the truth is this. I haven't been good enough. And you haven't been good enough. Because good enough means living day after day, trusting in God alone above all else. I don't think I've even pulled that off one day. You probably haven't either. Because you see, we, we're in this bondage to sin, and the sin keeps us from trusting in God alone. Instead, we are always taking matters into our own hands. We're always doing the way things the way we think they should be done instead of trusting God in any of it. I mean, if we were the employees of God's company, we'd be a huge liability because we never do what the boss says. We go off and do it our way. Well, thankfully, in the parable, someone intervenes. As the story goes, Jesus, who gets to be the good Samaritan in this new parable, he sees us, this huge liability. He doesn't ignore us. He doesn't walk past us. He knows exactly what it's going to cost him. He knows we are a liability. But he stops anyway. He bandages up our wounds, puts us on a donkey, his donkey, takes us to a place where we can heal and recover and provides for us. See, any debate about who is my neighbor must begin with how Jesus showed love and caring to us. Even when we were acting as a liability to the kingdom of heaven. Wounded, faithless, 
headed in the wrong direction. Jesus sees us. And time and time again, he gathers us up. Simply because we need him to do that. Simply because he loves us. And not because we're going to pay him back someday. What Jesus has done for us forces us to change whatever definition of neighbor we have set for ourselves. Now our neighbor is simply the one who God has put in our path who needs us. Regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've done, just the way that Jesus has been that neighbor and friend to us. That might not be the answer any one of us wants to hear. But then again, we're probably not used to looking at others through Jesus' eyes. Eyes of love that can save people from the messes that they're in. And love that can transform people from the inside out, which is exactly the work of the kingdom of God. After all, this is what Jesus has done for us, transforming us from the inside out. And if he can do that for us, he can do that for anybody. So, who is our neighbor? Whoever Jesus would stoop to help. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all our understanding keep our hearts and our minds focused on Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.